All right, praise the Lord. Let's all say praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be gathered together with the brothers and sisters to eat and enjoy and to hear God's word? Okay, you like it a little bit, but I know you like it even more than that. Um, if you, does everybody have an outline? If you're missing one, somebody will give you one. Um, everybody's got one. Okay, wonderful. We're going to be talking about Christ, taking Christ as the trespass offering for God's purpose. We're continuing our series in the book of Leviticus. Uh, focusing on the major basic offerings at the beginning of the book. But I wanted to start um, our time together uh, with a story. I want to tell you this story. Um, It comes from 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And the reason I want to tell you this story is that because embedded in this story is every point that you need to pick up tonight. Every point is embedded in this story that we want to glean from God's Word regarding the trespass offering. It's all there in this story. And I'm just telling you up front, it's, um, it's, it's a real talk story, okay? It really happened, and um, there are difficult things that happen in the midst of it. But... Amidst the details and the timeline, there's wonderful things that we can glean and experience ourselves as Christians in the age of grace in 2018. So I want to tell you a story about um, the greatest king in Israeli history. His name's David, and even though he's the greatest king in Israel's history, he's a very normal person. He actually started out as a shepherd boy. And when the prophet Samuel came to secretly anoint one of Jesse, Jesse's sons, that's David's dad, when he came to anoint one of the sons as the next king of Israel, David's dad didn't even call him into the living room. Because why would he call David? David's not going to be king of Israel. David's out and he's out in the way back. He's out in the back 40 taking care of the sheep because that's where he belongs. Outside, way back, you take care of them sheep, boy. That's where he belongs. He's a very normal person. But this was who God chose. And Samuel would anoint David according to God's will. And David would grow, would grow up to become a man after God's own heart. Why was that? Because he had a heart for God's building. He would eventually become king of Israel, even though he was uh, persecuted by the king that he was replacing. He would eventually become king of Israel. And in the midst of his reign, uh, the kingdom would spread and his, his name would become famous. David has, has killed his ten thousands of ten thousands. I mean, he's a great king. But something happens in 2 Samuel 11. It's the time of the year when kings go to war. There's a certain time of the year where kings go to war. But this time David stays home. He sends Joab, he sends his generals, he sends his men um, to go out to conquer, conquer and to conquer, but David stays home. And while he's at home, it says he gets up from bed in the afternoon 
I don't know, I guess he was taking a nap. I don't know why. He was in bed in the afternoon, but he's at home while his men are at war. He gets up from bed in the afternoon and he's walking around the roof and he sees a beautiful woman. He sees a beautiful woman taking a bath. And he calls one of his servants, he says, who's that? And the servant tells him, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is one of David's mighty men. It means he's one of David's mightiest soldiers. Every president has a secret service. Every president has commandos. Uriah is one of these kind of people for David. He's one of the most faithful, given, talented servants that David has. David's at home. Uriah's on the front lines. David sees Uriah's wife, and he decides, I'd like to have her. So he calls her, and they commit adultery. The men are out fighting. David's at home. And in the midst of that, he commits adultery with Uriah's wife. Probably he didn't have that good a sleep that night, I bet. To make matters worse, he gets news a little later on. Bathsheba sends him a message, uh, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And so I just want you to imagine the, the panic and anxiety that's going on. David knows he should be out at war. And he's committed adultery with one of his most faithful servants' wife. And not only did he do that, but now she's pregnant. And because Uriah has been away at war, there's no way he'll ever believe that the baby is his. It, it can't be. And so David, he um, decides... Um, what am I going to do? Let's get Uriah back. Let's get Uriah back. He calls Uriah back. Oh, wonderful. Um, tell me, how are things going on? How's the war? Um, what are the battles looking like? Oh, great. Wonderful. Now that you're here, why don't you go and rest and spend some time with your wife? Spend some time with your wife. I want you to go home. I want you to eat, drink, and I want you to spend the night at home. Because there's a chance if he does that, then he'll think the baby that's coming is his. It's Uriah's rather than David's. But faithful Uriah doesn't go home. He sleeps downstairs where the servants of the king are sleeping. And David finds out the next day, why didn't you go home? Why didn't you go home? Well, 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 your, your wife's here. Eat, drink, sleep, rest. And he says, I will by no means go to my house while your servants are out in the field, sleeping in tents, we're, we're at war. My king, I will not, by no means will I go home in the midst of what's going on. I cannot. What do you think is going on in David's heart? So the pressure is mounting, and he decides, okay, um, wow, all right. So, hey, why don't you stay one more night? This time what he does is he gets Uriah drunk. You stay with me, hey, let's eat, let's drink, have dinner with me. He gets Uriah drunk. And now he says, now you go home, go home. Be with your wife, rest. Um, it's good. Uriah sleeps downstairs again. 
He refuses to go home. So this time, David, he's, um, he's running short of options. So what he does is he writes a letter. And he puts it in Uriah's hand the next day. And he says, I want you to take this and I want you to give it to Joab, the general. And what Uriah doesn't know is that he's carrying his own death note in his hand. The note says, I want you to send Uriah to the forefront of the hardest battle. And then once he gets there, I want you to withdraw so that he dies. Faithful Uriah carries his own death note to Joab. And Joab carries it out. David's done all that he can to, to, cover, to cover his mistake, to cover his sin. He's done all that he can. But Nathan the prophet comes to visit him. And via Nathan the prophet, David learns. David already knew, but David learns that God knew too. Nathan tells him, you've sinned. And this elicits... Um, tremendous uh, consequences. All kinds of things begin happening. And it elicits a tremendous repentance that comes forth from David. And the cry of his heart at this time is written, it's recorded in Psalm 51. And his cry is, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy spirit from me. Lord, I know that I have, I've, I've committed adultery. I've murdered one of my most faithful servants. Lord, please cast me not from your presence. I, have, you ever felt, have you ever felt far from God? Maybe you haven't experienced that. But probably there's been some time in your life where because of your own mistakes, your own sins, your own wrongdoings, God couldn't feel any farther. And the cry of your heart is, Lord, I just want to be in your presence again. I'll do anything. Please cast me not from your presence. I think this is a pretty usual experience for all of us. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have become a separation between you and your God. Isaiah 59.2, Your iniquities have become a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face. Have you ever felt like that before? You felt like you're praying and it just, it's like it's bouncing off the ceiling. You ever felt like that? I feel like it feels like God's face is just, it's not, he's not looking at me. I just, I cry, I cry out, I pray, I go to the meetings, I just, I don't know what it is. There are seasons in our Christian life, and we go through winters. It's very normal. If winter doesn't come, spring won't come. If winter doesn't come, summer won't come. So there, on the one hand, there are, there's a number of things going on in our Christian life that we may feel God's distance um, for some reason. There's a number of things that happen in our Christian life. On the other hand, sometimes the simplest reason is the answer. We, we, may, just have, we may just have sinned. 
we may just have a buildup of sins that have cut us off, cut off our fellowship with God. Not that our relationship has changed. Our relationship with God, once we become children of God, cannot change. He's always our Father. But perhaps our fellowship has been cut off. Brothers and sisters, God has good news for you. God has good news for you. And tonight, I'd like to preach the gospel to you. Brothers and sisters, 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who himself, Jesus, he himself bore up our sins, our sins, in his body on the tree. I want you to circle it. I want you to highlight it. If you've got a pen, find one. If you can't find a highlighter, text it to yourself. Um, take a picture. Our sins. Our sins in His body. On the tree. Jesus died for our sins! My prayer tonight is that you would see it. I know you've heard it before. And I know you believe it, but I pray, our prayer tonight is the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and that you would get a glorious sight of what Christ has done on the cross. That you would be riveted by a glorious sight concerning Jesus Christ on the cross. He's the reality of the trespass offering. Our sins, His body on the tree. It's not just our sin. Sometimes it's easy to say, oh man, Jesus died for my sin. Sometimes it's even easy to say, he died for my sins. It's just kind of a, a, multi, just a, a big number. I want, you to think, I want you to think about your sins. Each, each individual one. Notice, brothers and sisters, it's sins. That means the acts. The things that we've done. You don't even have to think about all of them. Just think about the ones that keep you up at night. If you've lived human life long enough, there are wrongdoings. There are mistakes. There are things that you've done that if you dwell on them, you can't sleep at night. Our sins in His body on the tree. He bore up our sins in His body on the tree. Uh, in essence, he said, I'll take that. And I'll take that one. And, and I'll take that one. That time you cut your mother with your words. I'll take that. I'll take that. That time you, you, you watched that thing again. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll bear that. I'll take that. I'll drink the cup of God's wrath for that. I'll bear them up in my body on the tree. In my body, on the tree. Your sins, my body, on the tree. Christ is the reality of the trespass offering. Jesus! Praise the Lord! Brothers and sisters, I hope you see it. I, I hope you get riveted and changed for the rest of your life. I hope you experience being released from your sins. Released from your sins. Brothers, if you experience this, your prayer in the meetings of the church will be changed. You will be like a man set loose by the blood of Christ. Amen. Your prayers and your prophesying, 
your fellowship, your preaching the gospel will be changed because you know that you are a freed man. You've been released from your sins because he bore them all in his body on the tree. This is a meeting on the book of Leviticus. This is all in the book of Leviticus. Do you believe it? We've been in uh, this book, and the trespass offering comes from Leviticus chapter 5. And remember, we've been letting the Bible interpret the Bible. And so, because the New Testament uses all the language of Leviticus to describe Christ as the aggregate offering... What we are doing is we're taking the lens of the New Testament and we are turning around and viewing the book of Leviticus with new eyes. We're seeing Jesus in the first five offerings of the book of Leviticus. So, what we're going to do now is um, you have to make me a promise when we do this. We're going to break up in like twos and threes and you're just going to read through these verses, okay? But the promise is, is that when we come back together, we've got to jump right back into fellowship, okay? Do we promise to do that? Okay, turn to your right, to your left. Read these first 11 verses from Leviticus 5. Ready? Go. All right. Did anybody notice that um, several times the trespass offering actually becomes a sin offering? 
Did you notice that? It's kind of interesting, right? Several times. And there are several different animals and or a different material or a, um, what things are offered up. There's several different things. What do you got? Don't be shy. Uh, yes. Turtle doves, pigeons, what else? Fine flower. Okay, very interesting, right? Why do you think that with the pigeons, there's two turtle doves or two pigeons, and the trespass offering is formed by one of them being a sin offering and one of them being a burnt offering? The trespass offering is formed by a sin offering and a burnt offering, and those two together become the trespass offering. Does that have any significance? Um, is all Scripture God-breathed and profitable to us? Is something going on here? Absolutely! Okay, the fact that one of them is offered up as a sin offering indicates what about trespasses? The reason or the source of our trespass is our nature. It's our sin nature. The source of every trespass that we commit is our sin nature. And what's the reason? Why do I commit trespasses? Why? What's going on there? Why do I do that? The reason that we commit trespasses is because we're not living absolutely for God. That's the burnt offering. So what's going on with our trespasses? What's the source? Number one, it's, it's our sin nature. That's why we need a sin offering. Number two, what's the reason? Why? It's because we're not living absolutely for God. And then number three, very interesting here. You can offer up, uh, if you can't afford two pigeons, you can offer up a, uh, a handful of fine flour. And that becomes your sin offering. What's going on there? Well, that shows us not only is our nature an issue, we trespass because of our sin nature. And not only what's the reason why we trespass because we're not living absolute, absolutely for God, we commit trespasses because we're short of the humanity of Jesus. We're short of the humanity of Jesus. Why am I coarse with the brothers? Why is my language coarse? Why do I, oh, bro, come on, clean them dishes. What's wrong with you? Why do I talk to the brothers like that? Perhaps because I'm short of the humanity of Jesus. Okay, now... What I want to ask you is this. Is there anywhere in this text from Leviticus chapter 5 that we can learn how? How do I apply Christ as the trespass offering? How do I take Christ as the trespass offering? Can I look from this text of Scripture and can I learn how to apply what's going on here? I know this is about Jesus. I know that from the New Testament. I'm reading it with those lenses on, with those glasses on. But is there experiential help for me as a New Testament Christian in the age of grace in 2018? How can I take Christ as a trespass offering? Is there anything in this text going on here? I'll give you one word. And it's found in verse 5. Confess. Confess. Highlight it. Text yourself. Write it down. Email it to a friend. Um, brothers and sisters, confess. And when he is guilty of one of these things, he shall confess. Say that. Confess. Try it again. Confess. 
he shall confess that in which he has sinned. How can I take Christ as a trespass offering? Can I get some experiential help? Is this just a doctrine that the brothers and sisters talk about? Or is there some experiential help for me? How can I take Christ as a trespass offering? Confess. Confess in Greek is homo logeo. I probably didn't say that right, but you don't know how to say it either. (laughs) Homo logeo. Homo logeo means to say the same thing. That means God comes in and says, that, that was a sin. And then to confess is to say, yes, Lord, that was a sin. Confess. Say the same thing. It doesn't mean, that, that was a sin. No, I mean, that's just kind of what we do where I'm from, you know. That's not confessing. That's not confessing. Um, Dad, you shouldn't have talked to the brothers like that. Lord, I'm sorry he got his feelings hurt. That ain't confessing. <laughs> that, that was a sin. Lord, you're right. That was a sin. Confession. What do we confess? What, what do we confess? If I'm going to confess, how do I know what to confess? Is there, is there anything in this text that will help me to know what to confess? I want you to underline this phrase in verse 3 and verse 4. When he comes to know it. When he comes to to know it. As we are walking in our daily Christian life, the Lord will enlighten us about certain things. We may be um, having some time with the Lord in prayer. We may be in a meeting. We may be reading God's Word. And then the light will come. It doesn't sound like that, but the light will come. Something we didn't know before, we weren't aware of, the Lord will say, Grant, that was a sin. And then what do we confess? We confess what the Lord has shined on. Lord, you're right. That, that was a sin. How do we know what to confess? We confess what the Lord has given us knowledge of, what he's enlightened us about. Conscience is formed by two words, with knowledge. So to take care of our conscience is to take care of what the Lord has enlightened us about. We confess what he's shined upon when he comes to know it. Now, I want you to read 1 John 1, 8 through 9 together. And I hope, brothers and sisters, you remember this one for the rest of your whole life until we meet the Lord and then remember it even after that. Okay, let's read it together. Ready, go. What the Lord has done on the cross, He did once and for all. That means our sins are taken care of. But experientially, in the daily walkings of our life, uh, guess what? We actually carry out those sins. And the Bible has experiential help for us. What do I do? Do I just forget about it because Jesus took care of all my sins and just keep going on with my life? Or is there something that I need to do about it the Bible gives us experiential help. If, if makes 1 John 1, 9 a conditional statement. If we what? If we confess our sins. If we confess, that means what? To say the same thing. If we confess our sins, what happens? Yeah. 
No, seriously? That's too easy. What does it say, for real? If we confess, uh, he thinks about forgiving us if we really mean it and if we punish ourselves a while. <laughs> Is that what it says? No. If we confess what? If we confess, he forgives. If we confess, He forgives and He cleanses. Not just He forgives and He cleanses, but He's faithful and righteous to forgive and cleanse. The fact that He forgives us means the offense is taken care of. The fact that He cleanses us means the stain of that sin He also takes care of. It's gone. He takes care of it. If we confess... He forgives and He cleanses. In fact, brothers and sisters, he, it says He's faithful and He's righteous. Do you believe God is faithful? Amen. Do you believe God is righteous? Amen. If you confess, will He forgive you? Yes. Wait, what if you, what if you, this is like the thousandth time that you did the same sin? No, but be for real. Because you've confessed a lot of times, then you sinned more, so probably you didn't mean it. <laughs> if we confess... He forgives and He cleanses. Sometimes we get caught up. We don't know. Uh, we forget about our own nature. We forget that we have a sin nature. Uh, we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We have a sin nature. And so guess what? Sin factories produce sins. That's why God Almighty became a man and lived a sinless, perfect, spirit-filled, resurrection-saturated human life. And He bore up our sins on the cross because He knew who we were. And He did what He did to manifest who He is and transform us. If we confess, He forgives and He cleanses. Now, there is another option. You don't, I mean, you don't have to confess. You could do uh, verse 8. If we say that we do not have sin, we are deceiving ourselves. That's an option. I mean, that's an option, you know. Uh, we could just, oh, no, that's, that's not, uh, no, that's not sins. That's just me. That's just me. That's not sin. No, I didn't commit a sin. That's just how we do it where I'm from. You got to know I've discovered, I, I've discovered myself. I've discovered myself and I'm authentically being me. I'm going to be true to me. Don't, 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 don't try to push that sin stuff on me. No, that's me. That's me. And I'm authentically being me. And you know what? I've accepted me, so you better accept me. That's pretty hard to, de to defeat, right? In an argument. The Apostle John would say, you're deceiving yourself. For us, it's not going to sound like that. For us, it'll sound like this. No, it wasn't that bad, though. I mean, you know, that brother shouldn't, he shouldn't have taken it so seriously. What's wrong with him, you know? I mean, it wasn't that bad. It's okay. We kind of talk like this. Brothers and sisters, let's not waste the process. Our sins, his body on the tree. Amen. If we confess, he forgives. There's no need to waste the process. No need to deceive ourselves. There's no need to trick ourselves. Oh, no, I'm pretty good. Um, 
you know, that teacher was just whack. And, uh, you know, I mean, everybody was sharing, was sharing information, you know. I mean, she's she just whack. What's wrong with her? I mean, everybody does that. It's fine. If everybody does it, of course it's fine. No need. If we confess, he forgives. Amen. Hebrews 8, 12. Read it. Ready, go. By no means remember anymore. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I hope that Jehovah God would speak this word as Rima to you. Your sins by no means anymore. I won't remember it. You know, we're all going to be manifested before God someday. What a glorious thing to stand before Him and Him to say, um, yeah, I don't remember any, any of your sins. I forgot them. Let's see, let's look at your account. Yeah, um, there's a big zero there, no debt. I forgot your sins. I don't remember them anymore. Would you like to hear that? By no means anymore. Amen. By no means not remember no more. Say that. By no means not remember no more. This is our destiny. Jehovah forgot our sins. I mean, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? By no means remember anymore. You... You might be in a prayer time, brothers and sisters, and the Lord, I mean, you might, Lord, did you really forget my sins? You forgot my sins? I, you, you forgot my sins? You for, are you, you're really going to forget my sins? By no means anymore. Why? Why do we take Christ as a trespass offering? Why? Is there, is there purpose? Is there, um, is there reason beyond just it makes me feel better? Is there a reason why would we participate in that? Why would we take Christ? Why would we confess rather than deceive ourselves? Why would we do it? We do it for God's purpose. Brothers and sisters, we are people of purpose. We're people of God's purpose. Even the confession of our sins is for God's eternal purpose. I want to tell you what ended up happening with David. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, after the flood of things that David has done, and after the confrontation by Nathan the prophet, David says one sentence. He says, I have sinned against Jehovah. You know what Nathan the prophet says next? I'll read it to you. I have sinned against Jehovah. And Nathan said to David, Jehovah has also put away your sin. You think there's something to confession? No, 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 no. Not, not adultery and murder. No way. Maybe for my little lies, but, but no way. Not for adultery and murder. That's too bad. If we confess, He's faithful and He's righteous to forgive and cleanse. Amen. Now that doesn't mean that there weren't ramifications 
for what David did. That doesn't mean there weren't natural consequences. God loves his children. And sometimes loving fathers discipline their children, actually all the time. If your parents love you, they discipline you. If they don't love you, they don't discipline you. And so there were unfortunate, awful things that happened because of this act. But I want, I want you to laser focus in. I have confessed. I'm forgiven. If we confess, he forgives. As a result of their action, David and Bathsheba's firstborn son died. That's, that's big. But the good news is they had another son. And Matthew 1.6 tells us who it is. David begot Solomon of her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon built the temple that fulfilled God's purpose. God's building on the earth. You know what happens when man's transgression and man's repentance gets married to God's forgiveness? It produces a Solomon. It produces a person that builds God's house. When man's transgression and repentance gets married to God's forgiveness, it produces a Solomon. It makes us people who build God's house. The church is always built by this kind of person, someone who is a genuine sinner, whose life is full of sins and has repented and received God's forgiveness. This is the kind of person who's good for God's building. Why do we confess our sins? For God's purpose. It's for God's purpose. We take Christ as our trespass offering for God's eternal purpose. We get released. We feel good. We're happy. God's happy. But there's something much bigger going on. We become people who can build God's house. Okay, brothers and sisters, this is your homework. No, it's not homework. This is a challenge. Maybe challenge is too scary. This is an opportunity. That I want you to consider. I want you to consider. Um, To take this word and do something about it means something very simple. It means spending time with God alone to specifically confess your sins. You know, um, the brothers have learned this by the time they're about a sophomore in college. It's good to take a shower every day. (laughs) It's good to take a shower every day. You know, if you don't take a shower for a few weeks or a few months, uh, something happens. You start stinking. So eventually you just learn, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and do this thing every day. It's a lot more pleasant. It doesn't take that long. And you know what? It's just pleasant for everyone. You take a shower every day. But spiritually, brothers and sisters, sometimes we don't take a shower for a long time. And so if that's the case, if you haven't showered spiritually for a long time, it may take some time. It may take some time. You need a thorough confession. And so this is it. You just, I, the way I do it um, is I just go for a walk. I just go for a walk. It's just me and Jesus. There's a time to confess with other brothers and sisters. I need prayer. I've been struggling. That's not what we're talking about. It's good. It's good. This specifically is you and the Lord. And 
My biggest um, opponent to prayer is not knowing what to say. You ever not know what to say when you pray? I hope I'm not alone in that, okay? That's why on the back of your sheet is Psalm 51. This is the psalm that David wrote as he was repenting of what happened with Bathsheba. This is his psalm of repentance, and it's full of useful words that will help you in your prayer to the Lord, that will help your confession. Phrases like, wash me, Lord, purge me, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. My salvation didn't go away, but Lord, I want the joy to to return. There's full of um, beautiful, life-giving, repenting words. And so this may help you. Brothers and sisters, nobody's going to know. It's you and the Lord. I would say today, tomorrow, by the end of the weekend, if you'd wait till beyond the weekend, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. But maybe you would take some time and spend it with the Lord, specifically to confess and be released. To be released from our sins! It's good. Repentance is progress. It's not bad. It's good. Okay, what we'll do now is we'll open the floor um, for testimonies and prophesying and speaking. Um, Feed us. Amen.